Welcome to Green Tea, sustainable stories from Bowdoin campus and beyond. A production of the Bowdoin Sustainability Office with your hosts, Marie Caspard and Diego Velasquez. Telling stories about sustainability from the perspective of faculty, staff, students, and Brunswick community members. Today we have the privilege of speaking with the Sustainability Director of Bowdoin College, Keisha Payson. Keisha came to the position during the summer of 2001 and she's responsible for engaging faculty, staff, and students in Bowdoin's sustainability efforts, as well as ensuring that Bowdoin integrates sustainable practices and policies in operations across campus. Keisha received a bachelor's degree in geography and environmental studies, as well as a master's degree in community planning and development from the University of Southern Maine. She has overseen student move out, food waste diversion programs, Bowdoin's transition to single stream recycling, alternative transportation programming, developing one of the first eco-rep programs in the country, and focusing on efforts to reduce the college's greenhouse gas emissions. Additionally, under the oversight of Keisha, Bowdoin met the ACUPCC, the American College and University President's Climate Commitment, Carbon Neutrality Challenge, which it signed on to in 2007, two years ahead of schedule, and is now working on an updated carbon action plan. Can we start by talking a little bit about your background? Where are you originally from, and how did you get to be the Assistant Director of Sustainability at Bowdoin? So I grew up in Maine, and um, I did a little bit of traveling in my earlier days out in Oregon and in Vermont. I lived in both of those places, but knew that I really wanted to get back to Maine and um, came back here in my sort of mid-twenties and was um, working at Bowdoin College in the Environmental Studies program while I was going to graduate school, uh, getting my master's in community planning and development. And students were very interested in developing a sustainability coordinator position at the time. And the goal was really to provide some institutional memory um, as you know, students are rotating out of here every four years, oftentimes going on study away for a semester or a year, and then they come back and maybe some project that they had started before they left, nobody did anything with, and they get frustrated, or a student just gets something up and running, and then they graduate and would feel like, who's going to shepherd this forward for me, and not really knowing if the student club would have the leadership the next year. So, so the students really wanted to hire somebody who could be that institutional memory for the college to keep projects moving forward. And I was working with them on, as they were developing their proposal, they asked me if I would help meet with the president and review their plan, and I did, and that was all well and good. And then I ended up getting appointed to a committee that really tried to look at Bowdoin's environmental footprint to see if we needed to hire somebody to do this sort of role. And so I was on that committee for over a year, and the committee ultimately recommended, yes, the college should move forward with hiring somebody to manage sustainability for the campus. And um, so I was reading the job description, even though I had no intention or interest in necessarily taking that role on, because I really envisioned myself being a land use planner. That's what I was going to school for. I said, well, actually, this sounds really fun and interesting. Get to work with students, get to work with faculty and staff, and make a difference. And so I ended up throwing my hat in the ring and um, ultimately ended up getting the job. And that was in 2001. 
and have been uh, <laughs> never bored ever since. Uh, you know, you think, oh, you know, sort of rotate through jobs every five, ten years, but I have just found this job to be so interesting and so engaging, and I feel like every day I come to my desk and there's something new to work on. Um, that's really the interesting thing about sustainability because I feel like this goal of a sustainable campus is this vision, you know, way up here above my head of like, someday we'll be a sustainable campus. But we know that that is a hard thing to achieve. And so um, it's like, as soon as you accomplish one piece, you move on to the next. Um, and so, it, like I said, it's it's never boring. And uh, always something interesting. And we work with so many different people on so many different topics that it makes it very exciting. What did sustainability look like on campus before your position was created? Um, so there was no sustainability office. And so it was trying to figure out where would this person belong? Where would they live? And ultimately, uh, the committee decided this position would be in facilities management. Facilities management, as you know, they heat the campus, light the campus, clean the campus, take care of the grounds, um, take care of the landscape, they build the new buildings, like they are intimately involved in the environmental footprint of the campus. And so it seemed like a natural place. Over the years, at one point, there was an interest in maybe making this position halftime report to um, student affairs, Dean of Student Affairs, because there's also a lot of student engagement. And so that seemed like maybe we should be going in that route, but um, the leadership at the time felt like it would be too much to try to serve two different departments. And so they just decided to keep it focused in facilities management. And so, yeah, so when I started, it was very interesting. Um, where do you start? Um, you know, you walk in and it's like, there were so many people that came to me with ideas like, oh, yay, Bowden has somebody in this position. You should focus on X. You should focus on Y. And it was really... The first couple of years were pretty overwhelming um, because trying to figure out where to start and really trying to become a known entity. And so I, I feel like I spent a lot of time going out and talking with various individuals on campus. I mean, there were the obvious places that I had partnerships right from the beginning um, with dining, with campus services, with the mailroom, um, of course, with facilities management, but also students really were super excited to have somebody in this position and uh, I think I started out with probably seven student employees mostly were seniors who ha I had known from my couple of years working in environmental studies program and they had great ideas about what they would want to do actually it was so funny to think back like we should have a Bowdoin organic garden you know that was one <laughs> of the the visions that um, so I had a student do a lot of research on other campuses that have organic gardens and um, yeah, so the campus has come a long way since then, but uh, initially it was pretty slow going and it was really, um, I remember going away on vacation probably two years, three years into this job and I took 10 days off. And it was just long enough to really sort of leave the, the job behind you and really, you know, get into this vacation. And then I thought, I don't know if I can go back. Like, it's really hard work. And I sometimes felt like I was a little bit banging my head against the wall because it was so hard to 
initially get the momentum up. And I remember I came back and told my boss at the time that, um, you know, I said, I was this close to trading in my job for a pair of flip-flops and a bartending job on a beach down in Puerto Rico. <laughs> and, and he said, you know, we, you really have to step back and think about the little things that you've been able to do these first couple of years. And it really brought back to mind uh, an example that somebody said, you know, it's like a tanker ship. Uh, a college like Bowdoin, we're steeped in tradition, and making any change takes a long time. So you picture the, the tanker ship going in direction, and you're trying to steer that around to you know do something different. You're trying to change the way things have been, you know, business as usual. And so it takes a long time to steer. It's not like a little boat that you're just like whipping around. Um, and so it made me think like, okay, we have seen little successes along the way and we are making change and then we just sort of finally hit that point it was at least five years into doing the work where it started to feel like it was really building momentum and really having an impact and then you know success feeds into it and it's like okay we've had this success now let's move on and do this next thing and um, so now I've been at this for I mean what has it been 19 years so (laughs) Hard to believe. (laughs) Along those lines, do you remember your first thoughts or introduction to the notion of sustainability or environmentalism, if you want to extend it there? Um, Well, certainly when I was in college, I um, ended up doing a self-design major um, where I graduated from. They didn't have an environmental studies major. And somehow it just was something that was important to me from being a kid. You know, I spent a lot of time outdoors and, you know, have certain memories of just, you know, being in nature and valuing that. And so it was something that was important to me. And I, I don't remember exactly how I knew that's what I wanted to study, but, um, but I did. And so I made my own self-design major that had um, classes in... Um, in history, political science, um, what was the third one? History, political science, well, and geography was part of that, and I'm missing one, but um, <laughs> but anyway, I, I just was, oh, economics was the other one, and so it was a real interdisciplinary sort of um, approach to thinking about uh, environmental issues. And I do remember being in those sort of like ES 101 type classes where I would walk out thoroughly depressed. (laughs) And, you know, imagine this was, you know, in the 90s. And so I'm sure you guys still walk out of my classes thoroughly depressed. (laughs) But, um, and just, you know, wanting to make a difference. So I actually, when I was in college, I started working for the recycling group on campus. I worked actually in facilities management and my supervisor saw that I was really passionate about this. I had energy and I was wanting to do more. And so he said, great, why don't we put you in charge of an energy efficiency program? You could just like start it from scratch. And so I did. And, um, and actually, interestingly enough, I went away for a year and came back and saw that nothing really happened while I was gone. So I had that frustration as a student of like, I felt like I had all these things going and then nothing happened. And then I came back and had to like pick it back up again. Um, 
so anyway, so as a student, I took on these jobs where I felt like I was doing something. I wasn't just reading about it in the textbooks and getting frustrated. And um, so ironic that I ended up here working in this office, you know, 10 years later. Um, but Yeah, I relate to that. I find that um, working at the sustainability office offers us a way to implement the theories that we discuss in class, both of which are important. How do you define sustainability? Um, Sure. I mean, I sort of fall back to the Brundtland report, which is meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. And that's really hard. I mean, if you think about it in that way, um, we're not very sustainable as a society. Um, You know, I oftentimes think about it in terms of waste. Um, not only waste generated, but just energy wasted or, um, you know, I, I feel like as a society, we've sort of become so out of touch with what it means to live sustainably that um, it's really hard to make change. I think our unsustainable society has gotten where it is because it's super easy. Um, it's you know, making money for people, you know, I'm not certainly not anti-capitalism, but sometimes we don't value things in that system that they don't get monetized when we think about, you know, the health of people and health of the planet. And um, so those sorts of issues um, have created, in my mind, a relatively unsustainable society. Um, I still feel hopeful that we can get there and I feel like I've seen progress just in the you know the almost 20 years that I've been working in this job but um but yeah so that's what I think of as sustainable sustainability and so I always go back to that and thinking about how can we move closer towards meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to do the same. Could you tell us a story about sustainability and what it means to you? I, like I said, I don't feel like we're operating super sustainably <laughs> as a society right now. Um, so, you know, I mean, some of the things that um, I think about, particularly in terms of consumerism and society, um, trying to think about the things that we buy, do, you know, and how long is this going to last? Um, I, you know, sadly, Marie, I don't really feel like I have a great sustainable story. It's almost like the reverse. Of, I think of there's so many things that I think about that are not sustainable. I mean, I feel like old school machinery equipment was really built to last. And I feel like... Um, so something like that is more sustainable. Hey, this is an, you know, an old system, but it's going to last for 30 years. As opposed to now, you can't buy a refrigerator and expect it to, to even last 10 years, which is pretty sad. Um, we had a fridge that was maybe six years old, and it totally died on us. And they were like, yeah, it's more expensive to fix this problem than it is to just buy a new one and we're like but it's only it was like six maybe seven years old and they're like great it it worked for as long as we anticipated it to it's like ah 
that just yeah, feels yeah. Um, frustrating. So I, when I think of sustainability, I think of, you know, how, what goes into making a product or, um, and then like, how is it going to break down afterwards in the end? How are we going to recycle it, reuse it? Um, and, you know, one of the things I love to do is shop secondhand because I feel <laughs> like that's sort of part of the sustainable society of just, um, not constantly buying new things. Our radio show thus far has been a pretty healthy mix of positivity and idealism, um, as well as a more grounded focus on substantive issues. Yeah, um, and, you know, interestingly, um, that's a great point about doing this kind of work. I do feel like it's really hopeful. Um, and so, you know, there have been times in my career where I felt depressed or frustrated, but never for very long. I feel like there's always something new and something something new that we could be trying something better that we could be trying um and or new technologies being invented i mean i think back to solar and looking at renewable energy and when we first started considering solar panels at Bowdoin, it was um gosh what year are we in now you know it's probably back in like 2007 2008 and well, it's too expensive, too expensive, you know, but eventually the price of solar came down, came down, and um, now, you know, we have the solar at the base and on the athletic complex. We have the virtual power purchase agreement for the solar in Farmington that we've signed up for, and um, now there's some great solar legislation in Maine, so we're looking at um, hopefully doing more solar at Bowdoin. So it's really, um, you know, there are things like that that make you feel like, Okay, there's there is hope. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and and I see that. Um, you know, I I feel like it is a little frustrating to be doing this line of work in the United States right now when it feels like there isn't even consensus consensus that climate change is real. Um, the fact that people are still denying that feels um, hard to. Uh, you know, it's like on one side you hear people saying, eh, it's not really real, sure, you know, we had a warm winter or whatever, but that isn't that great, we don't want to freeze, you know, like, <laughs> those are the kind of comments that I hear, and yet, um, thankfully you see, like, the, um, the state of Maine now has new climate legislation, we're aiming to be um, carbon fossil, I think, I believe it's like basically fossil fuel free by 2050, carbon neutral by, I think it's 2045 is the new um, proposal from the state legislature. Um, they have the Maine Climate Council that's working on a new climate action plan for the state of Maine. I'm uh, sitting on one of the subcommittees for that. And so it's really great. There's so many people who in Maine who are ready to get to work, roll up their sleeves and really get involved and help the state achieve these goals that they've laid out. It's very exciting. Yeah. They had a kickoff in September and the room was packed. I don't know how many people were there, at least probably a couple hundred people. Oh. And so much positive energy about the future. So that yeah. makes you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Coming back to Bowdoin, what projects are you most excited to take on? 
Ooh, that's a great question. Um, well, one of the big things that's um, dom dominating my time right now is a climate action plan for 2030. So another 10 year time frame. We did the first one in 2008. We wrapped that up in 2018 and we've been sort of thinking about what's next and wanted to have a new plan by 2020. And so um, that's coming right up. <laughs> And uh, really thinking about where can we make the next big um, reductions in our greenhouse gas emissions as a campus. Um, and so that's probably one of the things I'm most excited about. Uh, but we have done some really interesting things. One of the projects that we've done recently that I'm super excited about is the new residence halls, uh, the Passive House residence halls on Park Row. And then the new ones we're also building at Harpswell Apartments. Um, I feel like that is like, why doesn't everybody build buildings this mm -hmm. efficiently? Um, I mean, obviously not every building lends itself to a passive house design just based on the airflow that you need. But, um, really I feel like that is a positive step forward. I feel like hopefully 10 years from now, everybody will be like, duh, <laughs> you're not going to build, you know, with this much insulation in the walls and in the roof and triple pane windows. Obviously triple pane windows um, have been more expensive and that's what's kept them from really taking over on the market but the prices have been coming down and coming down and um, becoming much more competitive with double pane windows. So um, so not only, again, this is sort of like the win-win, people are comfortable. Um, you know, you think of some of the older buildings we have on campus, it's drafty, you know, you sit near a window and you can feel the cold air radiating from it. And so, you know, the hope is these are going to be comfortable and use a lot less um, energy. Speaking towards the present, what is your favorite part of your work? And what have been the biggest challenges that you faced? Hmm. Um, so I would say probably the best thing about working at Bowdoin is the students. And that might sound cliche, but I have, over the years, years ago, I remember being essentially offered a position someplace else doing sustainability work that was not a college or university. Um, and, you know, I see other jobs advertised at businesses. And when, I, when it comes back to it, I love the energy and enthusiasm that comes from working with college students. Uh, on these issues so it makes it much more interesting and I just love the fact that the mission of the college is education that's something I can really get behind it's something that I also feel passionate about and so um, I feel like probably the best part about working about my job is being able to um, work with students mm -hmm. and um, and think about these things with students and really try to engage students on these topics, like getting them to think about some of these issues in ways that they might not have thought about before coming to the sustainability office. Um, in terms of the biggest challenges I faced, um, I don't know if I can uh, highlight a specific example, but I think just in general, asking people to do things differently is hard. Um, and so if we're trying to create change, be a change maker, um, that can be challenging and, and you realize that it takes time 
And I do see, you know, students come in and they're super enthusiastic and they like, great, let's make this happen next semester. <laughs> like, mm, actually, that might take us years to do because it just, you have to put the idea out there, introduce people to the idea, help them feel comfortable with it, um, really help them explore what the ramifications are going to be. And um, because if you just try to do something and do it quickly and people don't have a time to adjust, their reaction is probably not going to be good and that's not going to help you down the road. If you're in this for the long haul, you want to build bridges and so you really need to make sure that you help people along to understand what it is you're trying to do and you really have to understand their issues. What are they, why is this challenging for them? What is their struggle in making this change and try to see it from their perspective and so um, it takes time. So maybe the biggest challenge is just that it takes time. <laughs> yeah. And um, and just realize, you know, there have been ideas where I have pushed an idea and pushed an idea and got shot down and got shot down. And then all of a sudden somebody else pops up with the idea and people are like, yeah. And so you just have to be like, great idea, let's do it. Uh, it doesn't matter, I don't care who gets credit for it. It's just like, you just want the end result. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and understanding that sometimes you just have to walk away from a project idea. Now's not the time for whatever reason, the politics or the momentum is just not there. And so why waste your energy on that when there are other things that might not be exactly what you want to do, but you know you're going to have success doing it. And if you can do that, have success, and then in the future come back to uh, and, and I am fortunate that I've been here for as long as I have, so I've gotten to see that play out many times where you sort of give up on an idea because it's just the climate, it's not there, it's just not the right time. But three years later, hey, we're making it happen. And, um, that's... Do you have any examples of like what kind of things have? Um, sure. Uh, well, interestingly, um, one example, and and it's funny because I've been here long enough to see it come and then actually go and then come back again. Um, but um, renewable energy credits. It was something that students really wanted and they really were pushing for quite a few years and there was just no traction. And then um, finally, I don't know, I don't know, I, I, I do remember telling the students like you need to take a different tact, you need to figure out if this is really important to you, you need to come up with a new way of trying to achieve this goal. And, and uh, so I had suggested maybe you should start at the top and meet with the president and ask him, um, if you were us and you really, this was really important to you, how would you suggest we be effective um, change agents to try to make this happen? And he was great. He said, well, you need to be the most informed person in the room. You really need to do your homework and um, really, you know, do a full proposal and come back to me with that. And so they did. And at the end of that academic year, the college started purchasing renewable energy credits. And that was, I want to say, around 2007, 2006, 2007. And... We did that for many years, and then the students actually came back and said, okay, actually, now we want to stop buying those 
and take that money and put it into energy efficiency. So, because we see our 2020 carbon neutrality deadline looming closer and we want to reduce emissions as much as possible. And we weren't spending a lot of money on renewable energy credits, but we stopped purchasing them, put that money towards our energy efficiency budget and continued. At that point, we were working hard on converting lights to LED lights on campus. And um, so we did, we basically took that money and really um, focused on energy efficiency projects. And then of course, we um, hit our target for our initial climate action plan of reducing our own source emissions by 28%. And so we said, okay, now let's purchase the RECs and offsets again so that we can be carbon neutral, close this chapter in Bowdoin's history and move on to like, how do we keep further reducing it? Let's come up with a new goal um, so we can keep further reducing our emissions. And so that's where we are now. Yeah. So you've been at Bowdoin for a long time. How have your priorities changed over the years? Have you noticed changes in the student body's priorities? Are there particular issues that seem to gain more traction over time? Definitely. Um, so I, when I first started here, um, people didn't really talk that much about climate change back in 2001. Really, I think it was 2005 when all of a sudden, um, I think it was like Time Magazine, Newsweek, and I can't remember what the third sort of weekly magazine was, all had climate change cover stories. And it was the same year that um, The Inconvenient Truth came out and really caught people's attention. And so before that, we used to do a survey of the students and we would ask about climate change and energy conservation and renewable energy, uh, how important these things were to the students. Some of the other issues we put on there was biodiversity, waste reduction, recycling, and those things would, uh, water conservation, those things would tend to be higher on students' priorities than thinking about climate change. And after that year, I feel like that was like the, the watershed moment of when people really started to think about this as an environmental, like the environmental issue. and. And two years later was when Bowdoin signed on to the President's Climate Commitment in 2007. Um, and so that has really changed the focus to, obviously we're still thinking about waste and you know composting. Everybody loves to talk about composting. <laughs> we can talk about that later. Um, but, um, but really trying to focus on reducing greenhouse gas emissions has become like essentially the top priority for our office. I mean, there's other things that we would love to focus on and think about. I mean, certainly we're trying to um, get students uh, involved and in, in ideally faculty interested in what we're doing so that we could partner on sort of campus as a living lab type projects. Um, but, you know, I'm just looking at this bulletin board over here, things that people suggest like Tree Campus USA, so thinking about like more trees or planting trees or um, B Campus USA, which is something I'd never even heard of until like a year ago. Um, transportation issues. I mean, a lot of these things sort of feed back into climate as a major issue, but, um, but that is definitely something that um, I find, I think the students are really interested in. I mean, for a good reason. Um, it's, it's a major challenge that as a society we need to address. So, um, composting is one of those issues that for whatever reason, everybody loves it. Everybody <laughs> wants to do it. 
And it is one of those, it's like the classic example of sustainability, right? You're taking waste and you're putting it back into the ground and you're making something valuable you know, and creating compost with it. Um, that is like, when I think of a tangible <laughs> reference to sustainability, composting is one of them. And um, we have worked really hard to make sure that every residence hall on campus that has a kitchen has access to be able to compost their food waste. Um, and of course the dining halls are really engaged with composting. Um, so it's, and it's, it's very visual, it's very tangible, it's something people can do. I mean, you can shut the light off, but it's not like you all of a sudden see the greenhouse gas emissions <laughs> reduced when you do that, you know? Yeah. It's, not, um, it's not an instantaneous sort of thing, whereas composting is. And so um, even though, you know, I don't see it as the biggest issue that we should be addressing, it's where people are at and where they want to focus. And so we have definitely made it a priority also. You know, when students come to me with ideas and I think, okay, um, what kind of impact is this going to have? How memorable, memorable is it going to be? Um, because, and I feel like composting is one of those things, it definitely has an impact, but it's also super memorable because it's something that people can remember doing and engaging. Oh, when I was at Bowdoin, we composted when I lived at Reed House or wherever. Um, and so I try to have students think about things that are both, that hit both those targets, like, is this going to make a difference? Is it memorable? Because that's going to get us to the next step of transformation. There are so many moving parts and actors involved in sustainability. How do you manage to engage all the stakeholders you work with on campus, from dining and administration to faculty and students themselves? Um, that's a great question. So we do, so years ago we started uh, an office eco-rep program and that was really fun and interesting way to engage with staff because that was something I was sort of missing. You know, we definitely were doing outreach with students um, and definitely communicating with faculty on the issue, but I felt like we didn't have a good channel for communicating with staff about this. Um, I had years ago when I first started done a newsletter, but I don't know how many people actually read the newsletter. Um, whereas the Office Seeker Rep uh, opportunity really brought people in to engage on the issue in their own office. Like we would hold meetings and talk about various issues. Um, but we did it for quite a few years, I want to say at least five years. And there were some people who would come to every meeting and um, I was so thankful that they would show up. But it sort of got to a point where it was like, okay, how many more new topics can we discuss here? Um, and so then we switched it to a new program um, a year and a half ago where we have the Green Office Certification Program. And so um, hopefully it'll bring more, like obviously there will be a cheerleader for every office, but we'll bring the whole office on board as opposed to just the one eco rep in various places around campus. And so we have I'd say about um, nine offices certified right now, and we have others that are in, uh, interested in the pipeline that want to go through the process, and and that so that I find that that's a fun and interesting way to try to bring more people on board. Um, you know, there are a lot of people on campus who I think care about these issues, and so knowing that somebody at their place of work wants to help them. Be, you know, it's like this is something, this is a part of them, this is who they are. They're a person that maybe at home they're very thoughtful about energy efficiency or they like to compost or, or 
you know, not generate a lot of plastic or whatever it is in their own life. And then to know they can come to Bowdoin and feel like there's a place for them to talk about these issues and be sort of feel like they're part of something bigger is, I think, a great opportunity for people. And um, again, I have certain people involved in, who are involved in the EGREP program who are now involved in the Green Office Certification Program. And they just bring so much to the sustainability efforts at Bowdoin. I mean, I couldn't, I can't be everywhere. And to know that there's people in the library who are super passionate about this or people in the development office who are passionate about this and like, yeah, we've got the compost sign up and everybody knows what goes where. And, you know, so that is a nice opportunity for outreach um, with various stakeholders on campus. And we've also, um, one of the interesting things that uh, I cannot take credit for the students started this years ago um, was the Green Athletics Program. Um, Alex Tugas, I think, uh, and Kristen Hansor, they were the first two athletes on campus who were like, you know what? I remember Alex coming to me and saying, we are preaching to the choir, all these events we're having, it's the same students that are showing up, and we need to get out beyond that. And so, how can we do that? Well, we have all these athletes at Bowdoin. Maybe if we bring our ethic of um, reduce, reuse, recycle, energy conservation, if we bring that to the sports teams, we're reaching a whole nother audience. And so they developed this green athletics program and, and it has um, you know, taken different shapes and forms over the years, but um, that's been a nice, interesting outreach opportunity that I probably did not think, you know, I hadn't thought about, but it's reaching another audience on campus. How does Bowdoin compare to other institutions in terms of meeting environmental and sustainable goals or initiatives? What sustainability goals that Bowdoin has reached are you most proud of? We're, we're, doing, we're doing well, you know, we're doing, um, I mean, we don't really like to promote rankings because there's so much that doesn't come out in rankings, I think. Um, but we did the STARS program this year, the Sustainability Tracking Assessment and Rating System through HE, which is the Association for the Advancement of Sustainability in Higher Education. <laughs> um, and we got a gold award. So, you know, we're, we're doing well. And there's always more that we could be doing. Um, I don't think Bowdoin has ever for a moment been like, ah, okay, I think we're done, you know. Um, but I feel like there's a lot of support, both from the administration, from the students, um, from the faculty and staff. I think there's the the will to do more. Um, but there's, you know, I said change is hard, and it is. But, um, but yeah, I do feel supported. I think if I didn't feel supported, I wouldn't be here after all these years. I would still be banging my head against the wall and being like, this is not a good idea. Time to go do something else. But I, I feel genuinely um, supported. I mean, we are a mission-driven institution, right? We serve the common good. And so when you think about issues of the environment, they certainly fit under the theme of, you know, the common good. And so I feel like you know, they're not going to say yes to everything we suggest here, which is fine. Um, but I feel like in general, they, the college, Bowdoin College, cares about these issues. And so that makes it um, rewarding. I feel like, um, I mean, there are a lot of great leaders in the higher ed movement. I feel like in general, as a sector in society, this is um, a sector that really can do a lot in this area because 
we're all mission driven and um, you know we're not a research university but a lot of the research universities are doing the research of trying to figure out how to solve these issues which is great um, I feel like um, we collaborate together too a lot um, in Maine we have a group the Green Campus Consortium of Maine and we try to share best practices with each other um, we're sort of like you know the shoulder for others to cry on or you know people to share your successes with but um, and then in the Northeast we also have the Northeast Campus Sustainability Consortium and we get together once a year the Green Campus Consortium gets together several times a year and then there's the bigger Ishi organization and I mentioned before they have an annual conference that's huge there's thousands of people that go to that conference so um, but in general, I would say Bowdoin is doing very well in this um, arena, and that's and I and I'm not patting my back myself <laughs> on the back for that. I'm realizing that might sound that way, but I just feel like as a campus yeah. in general, there's support all across the campus for this, so that helps us move forward. Are there any goals in particular that you want to talk about? Well, certainly the um, progress we've made in reducing our greenhouse gas emissions has been great. You know, um, a lot of people like to point, oh, Bowdoin's carbon neutral, which we are. And that did, um, that was a step, maybe a step beyond what other schools are doing. Of course, we did it through purchasing renewable energy credits and carbon offsets, but that's having an impact. Um, but I don't necessarily look at that as like, oh, we're better than you because we're carbon neutral. <laughs> because I feel like we're all working hard on this issue. Um, it was just... A nice way for us to when you sign on to the college the um, the president's climate commitment I'm gonna call it that for not going into the long acronym <laughs> um, but you had to pick a date when you would become carbon neutral and we had initially looked at the date of 2050 and which seems maybe more realistic we didn't know what would happen between 2008 when we were working on this plan in 2050 but we thought well surely somebody will figure this out by then and we'll like <laughs> We could actually realistically do it. And then we decided that we would rather pick a more near-term date and realize, we totally realized that we would not be fossil fuel free by by 2020. But we also felt like we wanted some immediacy to the goal and really to push ourselves further, faster than a goal of 2050 would. Mm so when we realized we had met our internal goal, we thought, okay, we're just going to wrap this up, you know, as part of this commitment. You know, we could have walked away from the commitment and not fulfilled it by purchasing RECs and offsets, but that didn't feel good. You know, we felt like we made this commitment, we're going to do it. And so now we do purchase RECs and offsets, but we're trying to, we're coming up with a plan to try to really ultimately become fossil fuel free so we won't have to buy wrecks and offsets but that any kind of plan like that is going to take time we have a central plant that heats most of campus we live in maine we're burning (laughs) fossil fuels so yeah what kind of changes do you want to see for sustainable Bowdoin in the next 20 years recognizing that the next climate action plan is still under under process it's top secret. I can't talk about it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, so I feel like an area where... Um, so we 
divide our missions. I don't want to get too technical, but there's three scopes that people look at. Scope one is basically campus heating and fuel used on campus, so vehicle use on campus. Um, then there's scope two, which is all electricity, and scope three is the sort of random catch-all bucket for all the other things. And so one of the pieces that we're really focusing on right now is scope one emissions for campus heating, because that is currently, um, as, our, as of our last um, greenhouse gas plan, roughly 60-65% of our total emissions. So that's like the 800-pound gorilla in the room, so to speak. <laughs> and so we're, we're really looking at that. We've actually hired a consulting firm that is helping us come up with a plan that will try to get us to fossil-free. And, um, you know, not, it's not, not going to be probably by 2030, um, but that is part of the plan is over that 10-year period between 2020 and 2030, what are the things that we can do that will help get us in a position so that we can be fossil fuel free. Um, I can't really put out a date yet. You'll have to wait for the climate action plan for that. But, um, but you know, there'll be other things, um, electric vehicles, that's gonna be a big part of the future. Um, we, excitingly, I can say, people might be hearing this first on the podcast, um, that we will be installing new electric chargers on campus, charging stations. There'll be uh, enough for four more vehicles um, we really see the marketplace moving in that direction. The state of Maine has really been focusing a lot on, on trying to make it so people can drive around Maine and have places to charge their vehicles. Maine's a pretty rural state. People do a lot of driving. Um, there's not necessarily great public transportation um, because we're a big state um, and can't efficiently necessarily get people from here to Skowhegan to Presque Isle to Machias to you know back to Kittery or um, so um, so elected so the state is investing a lot in electric vehicle charging and actually we received a grant from Efficiency Maine to help uh, with the installation of the new ones we're going to be doing this this fall winter um, but so transportation is part of it thinking you know one of the issues that we've talked a lot about is should we try to institute a some sort of a internal shadow carbon price on uh, capital projects or even major maintenance projects that we do over a certain dollar value. Um, so the point of instituting a shadow carbon price is to really drive you to internalize, okay, if we do this cheaper but less efficient motor, um, we're going to charge ourselves a carbon tax for that. And so maybe actually it does make sense to do the slightly more expensive but more efficient motor and so that's it'll be interesting to see there are several other schools who have done this and we have talked about it as a committee and um, are definitely exploring that as an option for the new plan um, and then of course also in the new plan um, thinking about resiliency because you know, so long for so long the conversation has been on mitigation, mitigation, but now it's like, okay, realistically, we need to be thinking about adaptation. And I mean, I feel like we're already seeing that here in Maine and definitely other places around um, around the country, around the world. And so, how do we prepare for this different climate in the future? And so that will also be a part of the plan. We're especially excited about electric vehicles. Four new charging stations will increase campus capacity by 200%. We have two now. 
Yep, so now there'll be six. You need the infrastructure in order to promote that sort of sustainable habit. Right, yeah, and letting students know, you know, I feel like a lot of times students buy their first car when they're in college, and so getting them to think about, like, hey, yeah. you too could, right. you yeah. know, it may not be a new car, but you can even buy a used electric car, and you yeah. can have a place to charge it at home. And something that's pretty cool is the, um, the parts of campus where these chargers, the current ones are, and where these new ones will be going, um, they are on the South Campus Loop, and the South Campus Loop gets fed from the solar panels that are out at the base and on top of the athletic nice. buildings. So you could even be powering up the solar power if it's a yeah. sunny day. So, Are new buildings going to be mostly electric? How would you um, envision shifting to fossil fuel free if the technology is available and financially feasible? Um, yes, yeah, so we actually have been um, focusing on electric because we are also at the same time trying to do more renewable energy, um, basically make our electricity greener. And so if our electricity is renewable and we're building a building, if we can make the heating system electric, then it is essentially, you know, as fossil free as we can get it. Um, so the new Mills Hall and the Center for Arctic Studies are going to be electric, all electric buildings. The Harpswell Apartments, the new Harpswell Apartments that are passive house designed will also be using electric heat. So um, those will also be powered by hopefully renewable energy. Yeah. So, um, so yes, that, so, so then the big question is how do you take, we have this um, super efficient central steam plant um, we've actually invested a lot of money on making it as efficient as possible. Um, we have new boilers, we've invested money in the steam tunnels to fix the old leaky steam tunnels. So we've invested a lot of money in this system to make it efficient, which is great. And I feel like Bowdoin should be proud of what the system that we have, but unfortunately it's still a fossil fuel system. And so trying to figure out, okay, how do we transition um, to something that would be an electric electrification that's what you know you hear they're talking about it in Europe talking about it in California like how do you electrify the thermal energy needs of your buildings so that's what we're looking at right now and we have a lot of old buildings on campus which um, old buildings old heating systems so it's not going to be uh, it's not gonna be an easy fix it's not gonna be a cheap fix um, so we really have to think, think strategically and like how can we do this over time as efficiently as possible. You've mentioned this before in speaking about students, but how does working in sustainability on a college campus differ from working within other institutions like corporate firms or government? What are the challenges and opportunities? I probably nobody moves slower than government. <laughs> that's my, I mean, that's my sense. So we can be a little more nimble. Um, I think business more, even more so though. Um, we have a lot of stakeholders here. And so making sure you, you communicate with the stakeholders. I mean, I feel like, you know, the classic, you think about a college or university, you think about the silos, right? you have you know the various silos on campus and so trying to make sure communication is key and how is everybody on the same page and that can be challenging if it's a corporate business it's like maybe a little 
a little less siloed and easier to like top-down message. Whereas you're on a college university campus, um, you have to. I think you need to spend more time doing outreach and really helping bring people up to speed about what the plan is because um, you want to bring people along willingly. I mean, you're never going to convince 100% of the people, but you need to get most everybody on board with what you're doing to um, move forward. And so it it can make it it can make it challenging, but also at the same time. Um, like I said before, being mission driven, I feel like this is generally important to the mission of what we're doing. And so um, it that helps. We're not just bottom line. We're not just, you know, making widgets. You know, it's really, um, and the beauty of what we're doing at Bowdoin is really educating people about these issues, environmental issues, climate change issues. Because really, if you think about it, the biggest lever that we have to create change at Bowdoin is graduating a new crop of students every year <laughs> that is that understands these issues and then they can go out and make a difference in their life. Um, you know, there's so many ways, whether you get involved in government or you're a teacher or you're an artist or a writer, you can still, if you have a general understanding of these issues that we're dealing with and you can make a change that is the biggest lever versus switching fuels in the heating plant or electrifying the campus. Um, that makes a big difference here and it helps you sort of walk the talk and communicate about these things, but really our biggest impact is going to be graduating students every year who have an understanding of these issues and why it's important. Yeah, it's definitely interesting like how do we raise awareness in the student body for those students who are never going to take an environmental studies class yeah. while they're opponent. Yeah. And that's where, um, uh, you know, we really, we have these eco-reps <laughs> that um, work in the residence halls and that's really why we started that program because like that's a way to educate students who will never take the ES class or an EOS class or, um, but trying to get them to even just understand some of the basic things that we're trying to do as a campus. and. I've had students graduate and reach out to me after they've graduated and said, yeah, I'm working in this office building in New York City and the computers get left on every night. How do I, how do I impact this? Like, how do I make a change? It's like, oh, great. Like, I never knew you while you were Bowdoin, but, you know, maybe it was the energy competition or something that they did while they were Bowdoin that made them get out in the real world and realize this is not right. How do we, how do I make a difference? So. Yeah. Keisha, thanks so much for chatting with us about sustainability. I think we both loved hearing about the formation and conception of many sustainable initiatives that Bowdoin thinks of as integral pieces of campus. Yeah, thank you. It's been, been fun chatting with yeah. you. <laughs> Throughout the 2019-2020 academic year, we will be broadcasting on Brunswick's own radio station, WBOR 91.1, Mondays from 3 to 4 p.m. Tune in next week to hear our conversation with Professor of Government Laura Henry, who has done extensive work in the realm of natural resource conservation and allocation all across the world, starting in the U.S., extending to Russia, the former Yugoslavia, and Brazil. Each episode, featuring live interviews with Brunswick and Bowdoin community members, will be available after the show here on the sustainability website at bowdoin.edu sustainability under the Green Tea tab. You can also find show notes and submit questions and comments on the webpage. If you'd like to share any stories or thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. 
please email Marie at mscaspar at bowden.edu. That's m-s-c-a-s-p-a-r at bowden.edu. The music you heard in this episode is courtesy of Colby Santana of The Sustainers, who we interview in the last episode of Season 1. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.